Welcome to Sports Weekly with Ayaz Memon. Hello and welcome to Sports Weekly edition number 26. Uh, I'm Ayaz Memon, your host. We're in the middle of a fairly considerate monsoon in Mumbai. In this edition, we've got loads of events and incidents from cricket. We're going to cover Wimbledon, football, the Euro Cup, the Austrian GP and the Olympics. Only two weeks remaining for the greatest games on earth, as the Olympics are called. And I'm going to be joined shortly by my co-panelists, Mr. Fantastic and Samil Arora. Welcome, guys. Hey, Ayaz. Thanks so much. A pleasure to be here as always and in the midst of a lot of sporting action. Yeah, Ayaz. Thank you so much for having me on once again. Yeah, as Mr. Fantastic mentioned, there. I mean, I end up saying this line every single week, but it's relevant all the time. So much to talk about and, and, and such a variety of sports. I think this is what is going to make this episode extra spicy in a way. It is actually. And, I, you know, I'm so happy that there's so much sports action happening all over the world. Yes, the threat of the pandemic may be waning a bit, but we, that we don't know when the next wave might come. So all precautions are being taken. I was absolutely delighted to see at Wimbledon, packed houses, the centre court packed. Yeah. Nobody wearing a mask actually. And I wanted to find out why that happened. So I spoke to Ravi Shastri the chief coach of the Indian cricket team was at one of the matches there. And I said, hey, Ravi, I spotted you on at Wimbledon on centre court. And how come you are not wearing a mask? So he told me, he said, listen, in Britain right now, if you got both your vaccinations and your last test is clear, you don't need to wear a mask, even if you're going for an event like the Wimbledon. So you have to carry your certificate with you. So I think one of the things that one learns is that if you maintain the discipline, then, you know, you actually cut down or eliminate on the problem. So it's good to see people back at sports events because that's what really makes sports so much more exciting, isn't it, Mr. Fantastic? Absolutely. And speaking of, I think there's a lot of cricket action as well coming up for us. We've got the India tour of Sri Lanka and the India tour of England starting. But let's start with the Sri Lanka series itself. You know, we've got a new coach, a new captain. You can't really call this a B team. It's, well, it is a full strength India team. I mean, we could have sent two parallel teams playing alternate matches to England. Just, just an idea. But uh, just looking at that series, how do you think our chances uh, are for that series, Ayaz? Well, you know, I actually think our chances are very bright for the fact that Sri Lankan cricket is really in the doldrums right now, currently. They've lost badly to England in the T20 and the ODIs. In fact, this year has been quite terrible for them in terms of results, in terms of injuries to players. And more than that, perhaps compounding the whole issue and making it infinitely worse is the fact that the players in the board are at loggerheads over issues of money and payments and contracts and what have you. And so I found it a little ridiculous that some of the board officials from Sri Lankan cricket said, hey, you know, how can we have a B team from India coming? As you mentioned rightly, Mr. Fantastic, this is not the B team in many ways. I mean, India today is in a position to field two international teams. I won't say that we should all pat ourselves on the back because we lost in the WTC final. But the fact is that there is a fairly enough large pool of high-quality players. Among the players in this team are Shikhar Dhawan, Bhuvneshwar Kumar, Prithvi Shaw, Manish Pandey. You know, a lot of these guys who were playing for India just till the, the national team. And they would still play in the white ball cricket, some of them. So, it's a very good Indian team. Of course, the new aspect to this, and which is what has got everybody excited in India, at least on social media, is the fact that Rahul Dravid is the coach of this team. We know he heads the National Cricket Academy. There's a lot of buzz whether this is the stepping stone to him becoming the chief coach soon. Will he do it? Will he prefer to be NCA chief? Will the BCCI prefer to keep him in NCA? 
or elevate him to the chief coach's position. And if that happens, what happens to Ravi Shastri? Uh, these are all balls being tossed in the air right now. But it's it's good fun. I think there's a lot of frenetic debate going on about what's happening in Indian cricket. I think it's good because if we have a clear line of succession, not that Ravi Shastri is done anything that uh, requires him to be replaced. But it's good to have a clear line of succession and I really don't see a better candidate than Rahul Dravid to take over the reins from him. But coming back to the chances, I mean, Sri Lanka have been wiped out in England and they saved a whitewash in the ODIs thanks to the weather and no skill of their own. How do you think India stands to perform in Sri Lanka? Three love, three love? Well, (laughs) sounds like a tennis score, but it's it's a cricket series. Well, you know, I mean, I wish I could be so bullish because having spent a lifetime in covering the sport, to use the cliche, how gloriously uncertain it can be. And especially in limited overs cricket. I mean, T20 is virtually a lottery, you know. And ODI is, requires far more, you know, staying power and different skill sets. But you're right. I mean, India start firm favourites. Not just favourites, but firm favourites. Let's put it this way. If India don't win the series, then it would be a, it would be a bit of a shock. Whether it will be 3-0 or 2-1, I don't know. But if India don't win, this will be a major blow. Absolutely. And speaking of new beginnings, the IPL has recently announced that there will be two new teams that will be inducted before next year's edition. Who do you think these two teams will be? No two guesses, actually. It's going to be, in my opinion, Ahmedabad and Lucknow. Okay, so that's more about spreading the game further and wider rather than keeping the concentration to the areas they're currently in. Right. I mean, one is, of course, get more cities involved. There's been a lot of talk of making it 12 cities, actually. But right now, you can't add just four more cities immediately, I think, for reasons of not just logistical reasons, but also for reasons of finance. You know, I mean, this is not the best time to pump in money into ventures. I mean, though the IPL is cash rich. Uh, I might venture here again that there might be a little bit of a political dimension in the choice of cities, Ahmedabad and Lucknow. Elections coming up in UP, this is what one hears. But I don't think that really should be the matter of much concern in that sense because uh, Ahmedabad has been, for almost a decade now, I know that they've been wanting to have a team there, much before you know the political dispensation changed. So too Lucknow, because amongst the cities from major states not represented is, of course, Gujarat and UP, which can very well put up a team. That's the idea. I mean, they've got the infrastructure, they've got backers, they've got promoters who want to represent those states. Uh, in the old days, Sahara was very keen to have a team in the IPL, and they were Lucknow-based. You know, so we've had, for instance, in the past, Kochi, the experiment that failed. We've had uh, Rajkot, which didn't work out too well. So the choice of the cities for me is absolutely fine. It's now a question of the valuation, what valuation emerges. From what I gather, it could be Rajasthan Royals recently sold a stake, I think 15% stake, and the valuation was coming to around 1,700 crore or something like that. You know, Rajasthan Royals is not the most highly priced. So I think this could be a good way for expanding the footprint of the IPL as well as you know getting in some dosh into the BCCI coffers. Absolutely. And speaking of failed experiments, don't forget the two experiments that Pune had, both yeah, of them Pune, yes, crashing and burning. Yeah, yeah, crashing yeah, and yeah. burning pretty badly. Moving on, you know, it's very interesting that while we speak of new beginnings, it's worth mentioning Mitali Raj and what she's achieved in her career. 22 years, now the highest uh, run scorer in women's cricket. I mean, how do you recognize her? What a star she's been for India. 
I mean, I'm, you know, she's absolutely marvelous. She's an ageless, peerless wonder, in my opinion. She's been 22 years in this sport. Remember, it's almost as long as Sachin Tendulkar also played cricket, you know. So, and Sachin, like Sachin, she also started around when she was 16 or 16 plus. She's now the highest scorer in women's test cricket and in women's ODIs. And in this series, she had three successive half centuries on the trot. I mean, just to, you know, put it into perspective... I think the Indian women's team hasn't done too badly at all. But they're trailing 1-2. To draw a test match and to put up this kind of a performance led by Mithali Raj, coming on the back of really virtually no competitive cricket for the last year, year and a half. It's a very, very impressive performance all said and done. Absolutely. And I think she's definitely brought herself to a point where she can be compared with other greats of the sport. Gender neutrality, I think, is important in this situation where we kind of start counting her as in being as big a star as a Sachin or a Gavaskar who set a lot of records. Yeah, and also just to add, you know, she went through a bit of a roller coaster ride. We know there was a kind of a uh, revolt in the team. She managed to overcome that and, you know, she's come out actually smelling of roses after all this. So, in terms of performance. So, I think that maybe or hopefully all the issues that were dogging the women's team have been resolved and from here... The team just starts performing better. There's some very encouraging newcomer, Shafali Verma, for one, who's a you know star in the making. There's Smriti Mandhana. She needs to be a little more consistent. So to Jemima Rodriguez, Tanya Bhatia. But you know there are some others like Sneh Rana, debutant who helped save the Test match. These are all uh, very young players, which augurs well for uh, Indian women's cricket. The obvious thing which needs to be done, and one of the things which we had when we had Charda Agra on the show some months back, uh, Mr. Fantastic. One is that expand the talent base. That means go out and encourage more girls to play. And the other is give them more competitive matches. You know, that's the only way to refine their skills. Absolutely. Well, let's hope a lot more of that happens and uh, the Indian women's team continues to perform. Moving on to other sports, we've now got the Wimbledon second week kicking off and it's been quite a roller coaster in the uh, first week. We had uh, French Open finalist Stefano Tsitsipas knocked out on the opening day. Roger Federer's made it to the second week and there's again murmurs beginning that, hey, maybe he could yet win another title at Wimbledon. Uh, But then there's the whole bunch of challengers snapping at his heels and not to forget the current supreme tennis player Novak Djokovic, who's absolutely focused and looking for the five big wins this year, including the Olympics. Welcome to the show, Samuel. What do you think? Who's going to make it? Who's not going to make it? Okay, let's start with the gentleman singles, as they would call it at Wimbledon. I don't know, to be honest with you. It seems very interesting today. Of course, when we record this podcast is Manic Monday, and we've got big fixtures like Djokovic as Garin, we've got Federer as Sonego, Felix Augaliasimi versus Zverev as well, and also Denis Shapovalov and Roberto Batista are good. Big matches all the way through in the draw. But you're right, Mr. Fantastic. It seemingly does favour Djokovic on the long run. But it's getting narrowed down in this sense. And considering the performances that Federer is putting in, it really seems like he's having a really good time. He's not excessively tired. He's pulling out longer matches, showing that sort of flair as well. It's been a pleasure to watch. But it's not what one would call a traditional Grand Slam, where you're seeing the bigger names doing a good job. As you, as you rightly mentioned, Sitsipas getting knocked out in the first round by Francis Tiafo, who again is not uh, here as well in the quarterfinals at this stage. So it's turning out to be a very, very crazy tournament so far. I saw a clip on, on social media of Roger Federer introducing everybody to the centre court and what it means to be, you know, that is quite... So, I mean, one thing is clear, he's not pulling out like he did in the French Open. 
there's no <laughs> he is going to be hanging around there as long as he can you know we but know where his heart is yeah we know where his heart is uh, and his best game actually so i think it's shown a little of some of the biggest names but even so there's the charisma of these uh, grand slam events that whether a couple maybe one or two of the superstars are there not there or they you know look at it this way i mean somebody is not participating like a nadal but there's always a possibility a nadal might get knocked out in the first round so you know there's no guarantee that a nadal if he plays or federer or djokovic wherever that they will be there till the end we hope that they'll be there because we get high quality tennis but uh, there's no such guarantee in sport so events also then in themselves have a certain brand equity which is very alluring like a test match at lords or eden gardens you know you want to see it for for the event that it is absolutely and, and i completely agree with the fact that sort of brand of the event is built up by the fact that tennis every single match is a knockout match and you're always on the edge there's no freebies anywhere whatsoever and the maximum freebie you can get maybe is a set or two at the max and and even that puts you down in a very bad position and that's only in the men's side and in the in the ladies side as the wimbledon would call it it's only one set that you can lose at the max because then it's only a three set a match it's it's amazing how competitive and how on the edge it always is yeah let's not start with the women's being three sets and the men being five sets and uh, prize money wanting to be equal that's a whole other debate so uh, well even on the women's side there's been some very interesting new players emerging Ona Jabua for one had a amazing game against Garbina Muguruza who she overcame and she's actually caught the imagination of a lot of fans as someone who's a very strong personality has an amazing all-round game and if she can make it further maybe a couple more rounds to be honest without being greedy i think she could be <laughs> the next rising star i I have a bit of a personal agenda here because when we're recording later on in the day there's a really fun clutch match coming up between Onsjeber and my favorite player Iga Swiatek. This is going to be a properly exciting one now. Watching both of their games so far in the tournament has been amazing. Iga of course has not really played a lot of grass in her senior career and seeing her evolve has been fun. But Onsjeber seriously the way she's been playing and that match against Bogorodza was superb. So this is going to be a fun match on the women's side. There's also going to be more. Coco Goff versus Angelique Kerber in the round of 16 is going to be crazy. And the one match in the entire women's draw so far that I'm most keen to see, Ash Barty, the first seed versus the Roland Garros winner, who also happened to be a previous Wimbledon doubles Grand Slam winner, Barbora Krejcikova. That happens later today as well. It's just turning out to be so much fun this women's draw. I'm loving every moment of it. But before we speak about Sonia Sonia per se because she's been playing in so many matches here today at Wimbledon we have to speak about the amazing achievement that sort of we as a country achieved in a way where in the mixed doubles in the first round we ended up having four Indians on the same court at the same time all players exactly Sonia Mirza and Rohan Bapana teaming up against Uh, Ramkumar Ramanathan and Ankita Raina and they won that match 6-2 and 7-6 and of course that one going to a tiebreaker but watching the highlights of that one was so pleasing genuinely knowing that uh, of course we don't really have a great tennis pedigree per se but to see all four indian players right there in the mixed doubles superb really was some side well that's the start that's the start of a you know of maybe a new new wave in tennis if you have exactly. four players uh, at wimbledon on either side of the court to each is fantastic so i guess who's your pick for the wins this week who's going to take the titles i think i mean much as we extol the virtues of roger federer on grass and otherwise as a champion i think novak for me is looking intent on winning and just so supremely fit that it's a heck of a task for anybody to stop him i actually think ash barty is looking 
to me quite good for the title year yeah how about you samuel who are your picks uh, i think i'm going to go for novak on the grass side i think ash barty I might just get it on the grass. She literally looks and feels when she plays like the Australian cricket team of the mid 2000s. That same look of yeah, I'm going to beat you. Come on, I can see you on the field. That same swagger and confidence when she plays. It's going to be tough against Krichikova, but I expect her to get the big win in the end as well. But that's the thing with the women's game. You never know which way it could swing in the end. Well, I'm not going for any of the established. I don't think Djokovic is going to win. I don't think uh-huh. Federer is going to win. Okay. I have a feeling it's going to be someone new and I'm looking at a name but I'm just not going to call it out yet. Come on. <laughs> say one. say that it's Sonego. Come on. Just it, say it's Sonego. This is what is in cricket is called a dusra, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I know the winner is going to be but I can't even name. <laughs> it makes it easier later to say I told you so. Smart <laughs> choice. Well Moving well on to the football which is absolutely amazingly set up now uh what a week that was france <laughs> got knocked out yeah. and i know there's a lot of happy fans out there the semi final lineup looks spain versus italy which is quite an amazing match mind you italy did extremely well to go past belgium in their quarter final the danes have made the semis despite the setback on day 1 that they had well let's just hope christian eriksen's recovering well hmm. and england it seems are now the bookies favorites how do you think who that stacks up who would have thought <laughs> Who would have thought exactly? No, uh, <laughs> I I hate that tag favorites because so far in this tournament, whoever has been the favorite has been knocked out. We came in saying Netherlands, Netherlands got out. We ended up saying Belgium, Belgium. The Netherlands are just well. chokers. Netherlands just chokes every time. I mean, we can learn a thing or two. I mean, we shouldn't learn a thing or two in the world of cricket that side, but hey, that, that that's something for later on. But. England again are now the favorites. Who knows what they could do against Denmark? But seriously, that that favorite tag is turning out to be a big target on every single team's back. And so far, whoever has had it has, I mean, uh, dare I say, choked it uh, at the end of the day. But honestly, Belgium did not choke all the way through. Italy was superb. De Bruyne playing with, uh, as we mentioned, of course, in the previous episode, he's going to be critical. But the way he was playing with a tear in his ligament, barely anything he could contribute. And you've got to give it to Italy. You've got to feel for Spinazzola for a second because he was by far and away Italy's best player in the tournament, and he's walking away. Not literally, he's not walking away, but he's walking away with crutches. That's what I mean to say, having a very bad injury. But now, Mr. Fantastic, I don't think you can look anywhere apart from Italy. The momentum they're carrying, the kind of football that they're playing, and most importantly, that defense. When they come up to say something against England, which I think is going to be the final on Sunday evening, that is, I think it's going to be a cracking fight. But first, Spain coming up, and Spain have not played the most beautiful football all the way through, but they're straight past, and in big tournaments. that could be it you know that's all you need to do i don't think at least going to win it i think it's england's time the cup is coming home as this no. although i really never for the life of me understood how that is home for the cup but it is what it is <laughs> so, you got a uh, soft corner for england tomil So tell so, me guys I mean you all follow the, the, you all follow football far more diligently than I do uh-huh. what does this mean irrespective of whether England win the final or not what does it mean for Harry Kane's future mm, that's a good point you know, he's, he's made through, a place for himself in just the last no, no, uh, he, two he matches went, he went through a rough time before the euro cup right yep yep yeah so i think Harry Kane's done extremely well in the last two games he scored a mm. lot of meaningful goals not like scoring in dead rubbers uh but his goals are actually brought england to where they are he's he's flirting with greatness here he's about to do or he's on the cusp of doing things that 
David Beckham couldn't do, Paul Gascoigne couldn't do, and these mm-hmm. are some of the legends of the game from England. You go back all the way to '66 when their last real big star, so to speak, carried the country on his shoulders, and you could have a situation where it's Harry Kane. Although Raheem Sterling on on the attack side hasn't done too badly uh, himself, feeding the ball well. So mm-hmm. I think this is probably the best group Gareth Southgate could have assembled. They're in form, they're positive. I really don't see any other winner here. If they do, uh, we might end up. Uh, being forced to call him Sir Harry Kane because, of course, <laughs> of all yeah, that yeah, happens, yeah, Sir yeah, Harry Kane. Yeah. I think it happened irrespective. You know, I, I yeah. find I find it ah. I find it quite fascinating as yeah. to how fortunes and perceptions can change change within a week in sport or two That's weeks. Right, yeah. I mean, for both Raheem Sterling and uh, for Harry Kane, uh, Raheem Sterling too has been has had a kind of a always been under scrutiny and trouble and you know hmm. fighting with the hooligans amongst the fans and fighting racism, then people accusing him of being very selfish. And Harry Kane almost being put onto a into a situation where even the English critics and former players saying, you know, hey, I mean, is he really that good to be there? Mm. You know? And then he comes in and he's captaining the team. And then he's actually on the verge of somebody said I was reading a couple of the websites from football and they said the weak link in the English team is Harry Kane. This is before, of course, a couple of <laughs> matches when he started scoring those goals. So that's how unpredictable sport can be. It's the same the world over, right? You have two it's bad the same games. The world over. You're, you're the worst player in the world. You have two good games. Next thing you know, you're being knighted. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And nope. well, while we've while we've decided hmm. England's going to win in Europe, uh, there's another great <laughs> competition going on in South America where Argentina's now made the semis. Great, great play by Lionel Messi. And he's on track for a final showdown against Brazil. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they've got a small matter of Colombia before that in the semifinals. This really could be Messi's possibly last shot at winning a major title. I really don't see Argentina under Messi ever winning the World Cup. He's also not had too much success at the country level, but this really could be his one shot at winning a title. <laughs> I, just for the sake of Messi, I hope so. But then when you see the kind of wins that Colombia has sort of scraped out in this tournament, it's just that they've scraped out some big wins. And, and for them... It's just a case of believing in themselves. And that's a wonderful team. Colombia, of course, very much a team-based one. No, no major star performers like that. No major shining stars in that team as, as Argentina has Messi. I think it's going to be a very gritty fight. And one might say, oh, we just want to see Messi win a title with Argentina. It'll be so good. It'll be so wholesome. But he's had a ton of success. Think about Colombia. None of their players have done anything ever so big in their history. And imagine getting a win over Messi's Argentina in the knockout phase when you're heading towards the finals. Talk about how big of a momentum booster that will be. But I think we're looking too far in the future, or at least I am looking too far in the future with that. This fight is going to be extremely fun while it lasts because seriously, penalties could be on the cards. And Argentina, they've had bad memories of penalties in Copa Americas, if we all remember. Well, Argentina is the South American England, if you ask me. They're both chokers. <laughs> they both do badly under pressure and they've got arch enemies that they had to overcome. England yeah. has overcome theirs a round ago. It's now Argentina's turn, provided mm. they make it to the next round to overcome Brazil. Uh, that could well be his ticket to greatness, whatever the sir equivalent of it is in South America could be his. <laughs> 
Uh, or having having a church on your name like Maradona used to well, back in the day. <laughs> yeah, that's probably the equivalent. <laughs> well, uh, great matches coming up for all the football fans. Uh, there's Argentina versus Colombia, Brazil versus Peru, and a possible Argentina versus Brazil at the end of the week to cap off what should ideally be an England versus Italy weekend. And as we move away from the football to faster stuff, we had the Austrian GP, the third of the three weekend the triple header finishing with a third win in a row for Max Verstappen, the world champion. Might as well give him the crown, Samir. <laughs> I ask you every week and you try and deflect it, but I really don't see any answer anymore. It's getting awfully close. It, it is. Now, Mercedes uh, having a bit of a crazy situation where their team principal is saying that, oh, we're not going to upgrade our car with new parts. But their technical director is saying, yeah, we do have a few updates lined up. So what's going on over here? Uh, we're not quite sure about that. But what we are sure about is that Red Bull have eked out a tremendous gap. So the Red Bull ring, as the name suggests, is Red Bull's home. But over the past few years, it never really was their own circuit. It always used to favor Mercedes because Red Bull never really had the power in the back of the engine. And the Red Bull ring is mainly about that. This weekend, the Honda engine, it's not just this weekend that it delivered, it's been delivering all season, but we saw over the last few weeks how good it was and how Red Bull were able to perform in all four tyre compounds over the course of the next last few weekends. So it was just amazing, a complete domination. And I would have to say that, yes, I think he's got one finger on the title. Not, not all 10 of them, just one of them at this stage. It's a long season, I know, but it really looks hard for anyone to bounce back, especially when Mercedes... They were losing out to McLaren. And it's not, uh, I mean, it's not the year 2012 that I'm talking about right here. It is actually the year 2021. And McLaren should seemingly be in the midfield fighting with Ferrari. But no, Lando Norris was punching above his weight. Got a penalty, which was controversial. So let me talk about that for a second. On the opening lap, Lando Norris was going side by side with Sergio Perez at the haunted turn number four. The reason why I say haunted is because last year, another Red Bull driver was going around the outside of a Mercedes-powered car. He also made contact. He also went into the same gravel trap. And this year, he's not in Formula 1. That's Alex Albon. He used to be Red Bull's number two driver. And Perez went in the gravel once. And then Perez was like, OK, I mean, if I can be pushed out, I will push out somebody else. So later on in the race, Sergio Perez had a similar incident with Ferrari's Charles Leclerc. And he pushed him out on the grass as well. And even after that, a couple of laps later, Leclerc came back and Perez pushed him out again at a different corner. And Perez got two penalties, two five-second penalties added to his race. And so did Lando Norris. And now many people, including myself, are wondering, is that... Okay, that's good that it's consistent. We often end up blaming the regulator, that is the FIA, for having penalties that are too inconsistent. But in this case, it was consistent. But many are wondering... I think it disincentivizes racing because when somebody is going to the outside line, you're just kind of putting a clamp down and saying you shouldn't do that. And what is this show if we don't have drivers heading to the outside line to make an overtake, right? So that is one campaign that we try to do on the Inside Line F1 podcast. Where we renamed our show the Outside Line F1 podcast for an episode. But no, all things considered, McLaren were tremendous. Penalties were a major issue. Verstappen has got one finger on the championship. Perez had a bad race weekend and it looks like right now Hamilton and Bottas are just gasping for air in this case. What can they do? Their car is only so good for P2 and P3 and they couldn't even get P3 because Hamilton got damaged and Lando Norris said, thank you very much, sir. I will take that position. Well, whatever it is, I have no idea why Mercedes has gone into a bit of a funk. Pace. They're just not yeah. reacting. Uh, has Toto Wolf already started looking ahead to the next season? 
doesn't sound like him to be honest ultra competitive that he is it's just looking more and more that it's a question of just not being good enough to catch up to the red bulls which is a bit strange when you consider that they've been the champions for the last 7 years but it's actually very intriguing that at the start of the year there was a law passed uh, or a regulation by the way which said that the cars i mean there were some slight aerodynamic changes i'm not going to bore you by telling how many degrees or how many angles were changed in that car whatever it preferred the design of car of red bull instead of mercedes two very different approaches of designing and mercedes that is why this year they were not as good and of course Red Bull and the Honda Power Unit being upgraded that's what's put them behind this year. I wouldn't say anything else there's nothing fishy going on. And as for Mercedes's attention it's only fair that they put it on next year but as I mentioned in the last episode of Sports Weekly it's a bit confusing because every single team by this stage has already put their attention on next year and all the parts that are to be coming in all the upgrades they are already designed. So what's going on over here? It's a bit confusing. Well that's for you to tell us and for us to wonder. <laughs> we we only have right. to wait and watch. We only have to wait and watch, but it's just mind games going on by Mercedes. Pointless mind games in a bit to try and claw one back over Red Bull because honestly, there seems to be nothing they can do on the track about that. Well, the more and more we follow this, I think it's starting to get evident what the outcome at the end of this year is going to be. Yes, I know there's mm-hmm. a lot of races left. Yes, there's a lot that could and will change, but I think mentally Mercedes seem to have thrown in the towel. Again, very unlike yes. this. But Well, if they can come back, it really makes for great viewing, doesn't it? It does. But what's making for even more fun viewing is the fact that we had 135,000 fans in Austria, double vaccinated, bringing up orange flares all the way through. It, it literally seemed like a flood of orange at the Red Bull Ring the last time out. And this is this. Imagine what happens when we go to Zandvoort in the Netherlands. where Max Verstappen is the home driver. <laughs> that will be crazy. So, the good viewing is certainly on the way, that's for sure. Amazing. Can't wait for that to happen. Also as a reminder, we're barely 2 weeks away from the Olympics. There's a lot of news coming up and we will have a lot of that coming up on the show in the coming weeks. Ayaz, are you excited for the Olympics? We're almost there finally. Yes, I am actually. I mean, the, the big hurdle was whether we will have the Olympics or not and that seems to have been crossed. The threat, as I mentioned and I keep this is almost like a statutory warning. for all of us especially the people who will be in japan the athletes and you know whoever else can make it that you know you have to be cautious and conscious at all times of what this covid disease is all about so that apart look i've been to a couple of the olympics and in my opinion there is no greater sporting spectacle you know we may have our love for the world cup football or the grand slams or the gps or test matches and world test championship finals or t20 world cups and stuff like that but there is nothing absolutely nothing which compares to the experience of an olympics and if you if you're fortunate enough fortunate enough to spend a couple of weeks at an olympics games then is the most memorable experience of your life so as it will be for all the athletes so it is for media people who cover it and i think even now for all of us fans of sport watching it on television i think it will be a great experience and a multi discipline event happening in you know just after this pandemic has ravaged the world is in itself it's an accolade to the human spirit you know there was a lot of debate whether the, the game should be held or not and i i always feel that if you tend towards normal you must aim to do it as much as possible rather than retreating you must take a step forward provided it's backed by sufficient health protocols and safety precautions and all that so i'm really looking forward to the games Awesome as are we and we will be definitely talking a lot about that in the next 2 to 3 weeks. 
Well, that's it from me. Thanks so much, Ayaz, again for having us on the show. Look forward to next week. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Samil. As always, uh, I'm going to mull over a lot of what you spoke about the Austrian GP and whatever is going to come up. Mm. Of course, Mr. Fantastic, waiting to see if Harry Kane gets knighted or not. But before that, <laughs> he has to ensure that England win the title. But it's been an absolute pleasure having both you guys here. Uh, we catch up again next week, same time. So don't forget to join us for Sports Weekly with Ayaz, Memon, Mr. Fantastic and Samuel Arora. Mm-hmm.